Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Big Apple Hockey, and it's it's always great doing these every single Wednesday. Always the highlight of my week. How about you guys? Is this the highlight of your week? One of them. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Why not? We'll, we'll, okay. we'll work on that. <laughs> work on the enthusiasm on that a little bit more. I, of course, am your host Mark Williams, and I'm joined by the host of the Final Buzzer, Mr. John Falkowski. Are the New York Rangers actually going to play defense? That's a great question. And hopefully we'll get into that more in a minute. And watching his team late on the West Coast, Mr. Anthony LaRocco. Yeah, sometimes those late night games are hard to stay up for. Um, but I'll, I'll try my best uh, tonight. I'm, I'm a little under the weather, so I don't know if I'll, if I'll make it the whole thing, but I'll certainly give it a go. Well, worst case scenario, I'll make sure I get a Mark's 60-second review in. And in the meantime, I can't help but look at Phil and think he took 10 years off of his life right there. Are you, like, 22 again? Did you, like, find the fountain of youth? You look you look so young in, right now because you, you got a haircut, right? Yeah, I, uh, I've shaved it. There you go. All right. I shaved it, and then Well... It, it, well, it's working. That's all you need to know. All right, everybody, well, let's you. go to the A block and start it off right there with the New York Rangers, who, look, they've had some hard times recently. We all know this. And, of course, look for Philk whenever he can. He'll try to do a, a final buzzer, and I'll always try to get my 60-second game reviews in. And, as well, the, uh, the trucker hats, more of them are coming in. But... The Rangers this week beat Montreal in shootout, beat Buffalo in overtime, beat Washington in regulation. That was a big story, apparently. We'll get more into that in a second. And lost to Pittsburgh in overtime. Last night against Washington Capitals, their first regulation win, actually first regulation lead since March 2nd. That was Patrick Kane's first game. Right now, they're sitting in third place in the Metropolitan Division with 86 points. Now, we had a long discussion about this yesterday, guys. Phil, I'm going to start with you. Assess how you think the Rangers are playing right now. Sloppy, inconsistent, lazy, um, uninspired at times. Uh, They're still getting points somehow, which is probably the one glass half full look at it that I can take from this is despite the fact that they're starting games late, they seem to do that consistently. Um, he, they just, they, they show up and they're just flat to, to start every game. Um, they've given up leads in a vast majority of the, uh, or they've given up the uh, first goal in the vast majority of the games they've played lately. Um, they're I believe they're second in the league and come from behind wins, but it's a good and a bad stat because that means that they're down in a lot of games and, you know, if you want to win in the playoffs, you can't be down in every game that you're playing and expect to come from behind and win. You know, it's a good mentality to have, to have that we're never out of it mentality. But the fact that they have to get into that situation in the first place is a real bad sign. And this is something that's plagued them throughout this season. And I would even say a good portion of last year, too. I remember complaining about slow starts under Gallant and and how this group just doesn't seem to to wake up for games and never mind afternoon games. Afternoon games, they seem to be horrible. And uh, it just you, they took three penalties consecutively against Pittsburgh, and that put them in a one nothing hole early. Um, 
you can't do that. And the Rangers are not playing well. Uh, they're winning games somehow, but there needs to be more attention detail on defense. Patrick Kane starting to look like he's starting to get comfortable. And that's a good thing for the Rangers and a scary thing for other teams around the NHL because once he gets comfortable, the Rangers' top six is, is very, very dynamic, arguably the best in the league uh, at that point. So uh, if he can get going and get some of the other guys going around him, that'd be great. But they still need to – they still need Ryan Lindgren back desperately. Ryan Lindgren's important to not be understated. It, it, it really can't. It, it's just everything around him. Nico Mikola is – playing okay in a role that he's not really suited for, playing as as the, the left-side defender on the top pairing with Adam Fox. But he's made a ton of mistakes. He's taken some bad penalties and put the team in bad position. Even on the third pairing, he was doing that before he got called up. But now it's, it was more magnified now, playing you know 20 minutes a game instead of you know 15 to maybe 17 at most. Um, Jacob Truba has played a little better. Keandre Miller needs to be better. He needs to... I mean, he's played a little better lately, but he needs to still be a lot better than what he's been this year. And, I mean, the goaltending, Igor Shesterkin looks like he might have found himself. Uh, uh, these last few games, he's looked really, really, really good. Um, even Yarhalak, I got to give him credit uh, for the game against Pittsburgh. I mean, he kept them in that game, despite the fact he was that he was amazing on Sunday. Yeah, he they, they played like crap in front of him at times. And he, uh, he, still, he still kept the Rangers in it. So... I, I just I want more consistency. I want attention to detail on defense, and then I think this team could do some damage. But the players have got to want it, and they just haven't shown me enough that they want it consistently. And that's going to be the biggest thing going forward. Can this team, you know, find that fire to give that two hundred foot effort sixty minutes a game? Anthony, you were one to sound the alarm for us. You've been beating the drum for most of the month of February. What do you think about the way that they've been the last week? Um, I mean, before the win over the Capitals, uh, they had one regulation win in their last 12 games. Um, and that was no, against that's, the LA that's Kings. not good at all. Uh, yeah, you could – so this, you could see the why there was reason to be alarmed. Um, however, you know, with the Penguins lost to Montreal last night and the Rangers beating Pittsburgh, um, I think that really kind of solidified their chance of making sure Penguins don't catch them because – now that you know, now they're eight points behind the Rangers, and even if they beat the Rangers in both these games, they'd still be four back. Um, you know, but if the Rangers would have lost last night and the Penguins won, that would have been a totally different animal. But that didn't come to happen, so I think the Rangers are good there. Um, regardless, though, they need to clean up their game. Um, you don't want to go into the playoffs playing poorly because then bad habits linger, um, and then before you know it, you know your the, the season could be over. Um, that's how small the margin of error is in the playoffs. So um, they just need to tighten up defensively. Uh, you know, Igor, Igor has looked better, especially in the Buffalo game. Um, you know, last night I thought he played well. His save percentage last night was 9.03, which you still want it to be higher. Um, but hopefully he could start to get an upswing here because, um, like, he's, he's really going to power them because if he can get back to even close to the Igor that he was last year, that would, you know, cause problems for whoever they play in the first round. So um, John mentioned Kane starting to look like he's getting more comfortable, which I think you knew was going to happen. You know, when a guy only plays for one team for, what, 15, 16 years, naturally there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve there. So, um, you know, he's heating up. Uh, but overall, they just need to start playing a better overall team game, especially on the defensive side of the puck. 
Now, one thing we debated about in our group text messages with each other, I still thought the math worked out for the Rangers. They just had to win seven games, now six, and they locked up third place. I still think there's a bit of a motivational problem on this team. I think they're still sitting around saying, well, we're in the playoffs. We're going to be the three seed no matter what. And this is where your argument, Anthony, was valid of Pittsburgh. If if they won last night, Rangers lost. Pittsburgh then wins the next two games because, you know, it's Sidney Crosby. Rumor has it he's still pretty good, even in his late 30s. And then you'd be looking at shit. Now they need to, to get some points. And according to Tankathon, they got the 10th hardest schedule remaining. We're going to be talking more about that in a moment. And it's just, you know, it, it's they 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 need to figure out what their line combinations are. And that's the problem with adding in a Patrick Kane. And you get people like uh, Rick Carpinello today on Twitter saying, uh, he, why, uh, you know, Mark Messier came in with no training camp and dominated right away. Yeah, and Marty St. Louis took a month to get his first goal as a New York Ranger. The guys adjust to their own levels. That's what it always is. And and I, the real question to me is, can Gallant get this done? Philk, can Gallant find this balance? Gerard Gallant is going to have to do something that he might not be comfortable doing, and that's putting his hands on this team. And getting involved in the locker room itself. He's been very laissez-faire with his teams in the past, including this Ranger team, relying on the leadership groups to really kind of push the buttons to get the team going. I think Gerard Gallant's going to have to step in here. I think if Gerard Gallant and the Rangers don't win the Stanley Cup or if they don't get to the finals, um, Gerard Gallant might be on the chopping block. And I, I think it would be imperative, paramount rather, on Gallant to step in and really start working with his leadership group and getting this team going because these efforts are not acceptable. I mean, one regulation win in the last 12 before last night, uh, it's just unacceptable for a team of, of this magnitude, of, of, of that type, uh, that caliber of star power on them and that, that type of netminder in net. It just, it's, it's not, it's not good enough. And this is something that's plagued them for all of Gallant's tenure so far. So for, for me, I, I want to see him get involved. I want to, I want I don't know what's going on in the locker room, but Gallant has been known to, to be very, very hands off. I think he should really start getting involved and really start talking to this team's leadership group. Because you want you, we bring up Messier and we talk about you know Messier's uh, influence on the locker room and his relationship with Keenan in '94. Um, it, it's really it comes down to a couple of things. Messier was talking about adjustment periods last night and saying how Kane has to go through this and that and how you know it's pregame routines. It, it's where you practice. The Rangers don't practice in at the Garden. They practice in Rye. Um, you know they. It, it, it just every little different thing, every little factor comes into play when talking about a, an adjustment for a player. So saying, so Rick Harpinell is saying something like, oh, Mark Messier adjusted in this amount of time, so Patrick Kane should be able to do this. No, no that's not how it works. This is It's not a vacuum, Rick. It's not. So Gerard Gallant should be working on putting together the best possible lines, obviously. But, I mean, he did one good thing in separating Kane and Panera. I will say that. 
because he needed the two shooters and the two defensive liabilities to be separated from each other because that line was just not going to work together. It's not 2016 or 17 anymore. It's not going to work like that. But the power play still just isn't getting it done. So he's got to tinker with that. And, I mean, honestly, I, I, I like Adam Fox double shifting on both power plays. I think that's a smart move. But something's got to change with the other parts of the power plays. Because it's not working. It's not getting done. Yeah, they have great looks, as we've heard A.V. and David Quinn refer to them as. But what does that give you? What does that give you in the end if they're not converting? Nothing. So Gallant has really got to stop stop making these boneheaded decisions that he's made as of late with personnel and, and really find some continuity in the players. And, and then he's got to stay on top of them with these slow starts. Anthony, by the way, whenever you bring up a coach that you never want to hear from for your New York Islanders, is it Capuano is the example you always go to? Um, is it Steve? Stone? Yeah, Fred Flintstone was was uh, definitely had a lot of flaws. Um, but I mean, he honestly, he might not he might not be the worst. I mean, the Islanders had some like Steve Sterling. Granted, he had some pretty bad teams. Um, so that there's there's been a couple, but. In more recent history, I mean, yeah, Capuano, but I do overall think there have been worse coaches. <laughs> All right, but yeah, there's it's one thing that they gotta they gotta get this power play going. We're gonna talk more about the power play in the bar talk segment, and you know, I maybe they need to just get closer to the playoffs to get this going. I've said before they're gonna treat this like another preseason. We'll see about that. Anthony, last word on what you think about the Rangers play recently. What would your prescription be? Um, more, more consistency. I mean, they, they've well, they've been consistent, oh, I guess, in a negative way lately. You could say, but um, they just they just need to play better going into oh, playoffs. Like I said, you want you want to feel good about yourself. Tighten up defensively. Help your goaltender out. Uh, bless you, Phil. Uh, I think you might have to sneeze again. Oh, <laughs> All right. Well, by the way, as you guys all know, we've joined forces with the Hockey Podcast Network, and we're just going to take a moment to talk about DraftKings, everybody. And then we're going to go across to the New York Islanders. Hockey fans light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot and an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sports app now. Use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at the DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. I hate hearing my voice all the time. I really do. I've been, you know, people I think I'm a narcissist about it, but I'm really not. I did forget to mention one thing, guys. Because uh, last night, the Rangers had the uh, Big City Greens. And that is what this is, where it basically had a live animated show for kids or a live broadcast for kids. 
And I mean, sometimes it's fun stuff like seeing the elephants just show up out of nowhere, or you have uh, this is right here. This is going to be the Mika Zibanejad goal that he's going to take it up ice. Now, this is the first footage you guys are seeing with this. What, what do you think? Uh, um, so it reminds me of Backyard Baseball, the PC game. I feel like Pablo Sanchez should be pitching and then hitting home runs because he's like a cheat code in that game. But that's this is what this reminds me of. Anthony, what do you think? I mean, it's, it's I think they're trying to, you know, draw maybe a younger a younger crowd um i think the nfl had done something similar in the past with uh um with a game if i if i remember correctly um something with slime i think uh it was broadcast on nickelodeon i believe um but yeah i mean it's uh, it's they, outside of the box i tried something new for a league that you know kind of people say they don't they're not really creative uh fine with it yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, that, I liked it. Cool. It was kind of, it was kind of nice. It's, I mean, it's all for kids. Here's the All Bay Q Bell goal, and you, you get to see some of these things. But you know, just keep that in mind. It's for kids trying to grow the game. Yeah. I mean, Igor Sesterkin was called Grandma the entire night, but that's a different story because they replaced some of the uh, big city green characters uh, in the for the NHL players. Swapped them all out for that. All right, but we're gonna go across to Long Island. Where the Islanders, right now sitting fifth in the Metro, 76 points, 34, 27, and eighth. They have a plus six in goal differential. I'm going to talk about the positive Anthony from last week first because the Islanders holding on to wild card two right now. They came back to beat the Penguins in overtime, losses to the Capitals and the Kings. I, I watched that game and I knew they were going to come back and beat the Penguins. What were your thoughts on that? They own the Penguins. Um, they're two of two of two other of their wins against Pittsburgh this year. They were down as well, so um, never got concerned being down to Pittsburgh. The Islanders, just like I said, they own them. So um, I was fairly confident that they were they're going to be able to come back, and they did. Um, Pittsburgh's a fragile team, and the Islanders worked hard, uh, and they got a, a huge two points. Um, so that that. They're, you know, they were rolling, um, even despite their their two losses here to Washington and L.A. Uh, they're 11-5-3 and um, in their last, what was that, 19 games. Uh, so they're one of the hottest yeah. teams in the National Hockey League. They're, they're, playing, they're playing really well. Uh, sure, I would have liked them to, you know, win one of these games. I knew, you know, last week we talked about these, these four games they had, Mark, the, the Red Wings, Sabres, Penguins, and Capitals. You actually said they were going to win all four. I had said, you know, obviously, well, that would be prime. It's hard to do that and, you know, at least take three. So um, the game against Washington, I, I think out of all teams that they could have lost to, that's probably the best team because well, I don't think Washington has any shot at making the playoffs personally. Um, so if they were going to lose one, it is what it is. Uh, you know, Varlamov hadn't played in 13 days and it showed. He was rusty. The team was dreadful. Um, and unfortunately, they didn't have their best effort. And then the game against L.A., you know, look, they were king- – Kings are a really good team, and the Islanders shot themselves in the foot. You know, Matt Martin took a really dumb penalty by throwing that helmet. He put them in a re- he put them in a really bad spot, uh, uh, and then unfortunately, right after that, they took another penalty. So it was a five on three. You know, Kings score quick. 
Um, still have time on the power play. They get a really lucky bounce, puck off the crossbar. No one knew where it was except for Ayafalo, where he just landed it and he just banged it in. And that was really the yeah. game at that point. I know they've come back. They've come back before, as evident against Pittsburgh and other times this season. But it had a different feel. Uh, you know, being at West, long trip out there, I, I kind of knew they weren't winning that game after once the Kings made it 3-1 there. Um, but it's a shame because they played a really good first period. They're up one nothing, And like I said, you know, Matt Martin's got to be smarter there. I know after the game, he said that he was really mad because Kapari uh, went up high on Romanov twice and Romanov was wearing that fishbowl. He has, he had a jaw mm-hmm. issue. So he wasn't happy that, you know, he took liberties with a guy wearing a, you know, fishbowl and essentially really one had an injury. And then two also, he knew he wasn't going to fight or anything. So Martin got pissed um, he got emotion, took the best, got the better of him. Um, so he's got to be smarter there. But you know what? Tonight, Anaheim, a really bad team. They have to win this game. Um, you you want to try to stay even with Pittsburgh and points, tie them up. Um, and then also, you you know, you have Florida only a couple of points back. And, you know, Washington plays Buffalo today. So one of them is going to get two points. So, um, yeah, they, they have to beat a bad Anaheim team. And then they got to wrap it up with by beating a bad San Jose team. Um, but overall, though, I mean, it's hard for me to complain. They've been playing really, really well. Uh, this is all with that Matt Barzell, who they're 6-3-1 and one with out. So, um, you know, obviously they're going to welcome him back with open arms, but they fared just fine without him. But um, so, yeah, again, overall, I, I like what I'm seeing from the team, uh, minus these, these last two games. But I'm pretty confident that they'll, you know, right the ship here in Anaheim tonight. Which actually, Phil, that leads me into what I was going to ask Anthony. Confidence on the Islanders right now as a playoff team. I definitely think they're making it. Uh, I, I, it's, yeah. To me, it's a matter of whether they're wild card one or wild card two. Um, I, I don't see any of the teams behind them taking it. I think the Islanders are playing well enough without Matt Barzell that if Matt Barzell can come back by the end of the season, that's just the shot in the arm that they need. Um, I, I like – I like that they've played better defensively as of late, although the L.A. game was really kind of just – that unraveled because of the fact that they took those two dumb penalties. And I, I, I said to myself, "What?" I even said it in a chat. I was like, what the hell was Matt Martin doing when he, when he took that penalty? I couldn't even believe that. It was just a dumb penalty to take. There was no reason for him to do it. Um, and they, they suffered because of it. He got the Dowdy goal and then the Ayafalo goal. And there, there goes the game. But um, that's one of the, it's just one of the rare games that the Islanders were actually out of, and it seemed like they were actually out of. And, you know, it, lately they've been coming back on a lot of teams, especially Pittsburgh. They absolutely own Pittsburgh, like Anthony said. I, I don't think there's any debate about this anymore. Um, State of Survival actually asks, what about Florida? Florida, if they, if they had a better tandem in net, I would worry about them. Uh, I will say this, Matt Kachuk is doing everything that he can to try to drag that team into the playoffs, and my hat goes off to him because he's having a hell of a year when everybody was wondering how he would be on a new team, especially away from Johnny Gaudreau uh, in Calgary. So um, that's the one team that I would worry about. I don't think I'd worry about the others. Um, I don't trust Buffalo's goaltending either, um, and nor their defense outside of Rasmus Dahlin. So um, I, I do, I do like the Islanders the way that they're playing. And like you said, six, three and one without Barzell, you, you imagine if you could get him back by the end of the year, you, you're, you're looking at a team that's going to improve. 
And I, I think they're going to pass Pittsburgh. I, I think they will. I, I just think Pittsburgh is too inconsistent in the team, even with their their additions. Uh, it's just the goaltending and the defense just don't do it for me. And the fact that Pittsburgh can come out and just lay a stinker against a team like Montreal like that just shows that they are beyond vulnerable at this point. And just to continue, guys, with uh, continue what you guys are saying, uh, first, you want to talk about a player specifically that owns Pittsburgh, Anders Lee, seven goals against the Penguins, eight points in total. Brock so, Nelson. Yeah, Brock yeah. Nelson's another one. You, 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 you want to hear a crazy stat? So entering the before the last Islander-Pittsburgh game, Brock Nelson and Anders Lee combined for 16 points in their previous four games against the Penguins. Brock Nelson had four goals and nine points, and I think Anders Lee had um, another seven points, including four goals, I believe. Yeah. I was going to say, he mentioned Lee. I'm glad, Phil, you mentioned Nelson. Nelson's been terrorizing Pittsburgh since the 18-19 playoff series when they played him and swept them. Um, he's, every time he plays the Penguins, he just destroys them. Oh, uh, on top of that, just to mention, we're going to get back to the Islanders. Just I want to I mention this. When you have a guy like Tristan Jari that makes the terrible decisions that he does, because against the Rangers on Sunday, he throws a puck straight up the middle, which you don't tell defensemen to do in peewee hockey, but never yeah, mind goaltenders. He throws it right into Capo Caco, who nearly was able to finish it off into an open net. Because we all know that's what he did to Josh Bailey in game five of the 2021 playoffs, which ever since then, I went, Tristan Jari, I'm done with him. He'll, I'll never believe in him. But... Anthony, you gotta look at you gotta like the way this is setting up for the Islanders. And last month, when we were sort of saying how much of a tough stretch that is, you talked about their record. It was phenomenal. But now looking at the rest of the season, they have the 25th easiest schedule remaining, and they only have five games against remaining or sorry, or against playoff teams right now. And that's they get Tampa Bay twice. It goes Toronto, New Jersey, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and then Tampa Bay. So, I mean, I think the Islanders have done all the heavy lifting. I think, I think they're in. Now, you still have to win those games. Just ask the Calgary Flames what it's like to not win against playoff teams. Yeah, they just have to take care of their own business now. Really, at this point, um, you know, if they if they keep playing at the level they've been playing at, um, they're going to make the playoffs. It's simple as that. Obviously, you know, if they continue to lose, you know, three more in a row, then, you know, maybe it, it's a different situation. But um, right now they just have to they just have to keep playing the way they're playing um, and they'll get in. And really it's just a matter of wanting to wanting to catch Pittsburgh um, and, and finish in that wild card one spot. So you could get Carolina instead of Boston, which Carolina without Svechnikov is, is even weaker now. So that's that's the prime that's the prime matchup. Um, or an inexperienced uh, although, New Jersey team. You know, you know what's interesting? Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't see it. I just saw, I just saw like a little blurb about it on on Twitter. But apparently, the other day, Anson Carter on NHL Network said that he thinks that of all the teams in the playoffs, the Islanders would be the one team that he thinks would beat Boston, which kind of raised my eyebrow a little bit. But I, I, I still would much rather Carolina. I'd rather Carolina for sure at this point. Um, you know, again, it's catching Pittsburgh. Uh, and if you see what they have in net with Jerry and the Smith, 
and the way they defend. I, I even regardless with Pittsburgh's games in hand, I think it's possible that they finish ahead of Pittsburgh. That should be the goal. I think to I'm gonna get Phil's opinion on that one too. I'm gonna say it right now. Any one of the seven teams, sorry, six teams, because I, I was including Boston in that. Any one of the the, the six remaining can beat Boston. I mean, I know it's a tough task, but any one of the six can do it. The only one I discount is the Penguins. They don't have the goaltending. Talk. Yeah, I I can see why Anson Carter would say it. I mean, they still have a lot of the core of the team that went to those two consecutive conference finals. Um, they do have a good defensive unit. They have one of the best goaltenders in the league right now. And Bo Horvat. Uh, I, I know I'm I'm taking in a goalie battle, I'm I'm taking Ilya Sorokin over Linus Olmark. And Linus Olmark's having a hell of a year. He's gonna win the Vezina, and I mean he's probably gonna get heart votes. He probably I don't know if he'll finish as a finalist, but anywhere in the top five, six, I think he'll finish. But um I, I'm taking Sorokin over him in the seven game series. That that's for damn sure because Linus Olmark doesn't really have any playoff experience. Ilya Sorokin does, and he's actually played somewhat well. So um, I see why Anson would say that. I, I don't know if they would or not, but again, game's not played on paper. It's played on ice. And also, I love saying this when it comes to talking about the famous New York Ranger, Hugh Jessamine, but all three of us are tied in playoff games one with Linus Olmark. That is something to kind of open your eyes about and go, oh, I don't know about this one. And, yeah, sorry, Felk. I didn't mean to give you PTSD on that. But <laughs> it's uh, – I, I think I think Jessamine's got one goal. I think it was with Florida and Nashville or something like that. But that's so – technically, we're one behind them. So it's not all it's not all that great. All right, everybody, keep on participating in the survey of what you think about the Rangers right now. Uh Go ahead, put your vote up there. I'm going to keep it open through the end of Bar Talk. And uh, a matter of fact, let's go get to that and let's go around the NHL. Shot. This is the easiest I've ever to answer. Let me say beer. I can't even begin to describe. I'm actually going to go crazy. I'm going to buy everybody around on this one. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Big Apple Hockey's Bar Talk, where we are gauging our confidence on NHL topics based on our choice of drink. Are you so confident that you're buying everybody around? So, so, I'll just take a beer. Oh, my God. Just, I, I need a shot. There's, no, no. And by the way, as always, click the link down below. Go to, go to Drizzly and bring the liquor store to you. Why even go out? Just have somebody else bring everything to you. Well, Last Thursday, Phil Gerard Gallant threw everything in a blender and redid all of his power play lines. Since then, 36.4% on the power play. The New York Rangers power play shakeup is working. Beer. It's a very small sample size. Um, it, they're still not converting. A, a ton it, it's it's better but it's a very very small sample size so this is misleading um it yes it's working a little bit because of the fact that they're not as as abysmal as they've been but i, I still don't trust these these units I, I mean you 
you took the number two power play goal scorer in the league off of your first unit so you could cater to Patrick Kane when the easy solution was just to tinker with that top unit and move some pieces around. I I, I mean, this stuff just reminds me of like Dave Gettleman with the New York Giants, smartest man in the room syndrome. That's what it reminds me of. And it's the fixes are very easy. They're right in front of them. You don't really need to, to do a lot. You don't have to go outside of the box. It's not even like, not even outlandish the, the things that you need to do to fix this power play. And yet he continues to just try to force the square peg into the round hole. And it's, have they gotten a little better? Sure. But this isn't, I, I, I doubt this has any long-term success. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. Anthony, what do you think? Um, like Phil said, it's, it's a beer cause it's a small sample size. Um, obviously if it, you know, if they keep converting, um, you know, over the next, you know, couple of games, then, you know, maybe it moves around. Um, but you got to give it a little bit more time to see, you know, say for sure if it's working and it's foolproof. Uh, I'm going to just make it a clean sweep. It's a beer for me too. The numbers say it is successful and it's working. I think they're fourth in the league in this uh, last couple weeks or the last week with this new power play unit. But the eye test kind of <laughs> doesn't say so guys. I'm just, uh, they were completely ineffective versus Pittsburgh on the power play. And that's what the Rangers kind of hung their hat on last year. One of the best powers in the league. But if they're going to actually use both units and use everybody that's on there, then I'm all for this because that's been one of my biggest criticisms of it the entire time. A guy that the Islanders would love to have on the power play is Matt Barzell. He's been out since February 18th. We talked about him a little bit in the A block, guys. But the Islanders, only 27 goals since he's been out, and that was in the Boston game. That's 30th in the NHL in that time. Anthony, the Islanders need Matt Barzell back right now. Matt Barzell back now. To make... um, honestly, this is a beer. Um, you know, the record shows the record without him is they're 6-3-1. and one. So um, they're, they're still winning games. Obviously, yeah, he would help and certainly solidify it. But, I mean, if they keep playing the way they, they are, which I don't think I – mean, I don't see any reason why they can't, it's going to be good enough to bring to the playoffs. Um, he might not return to the end of it. So, I mean, if you would have worded this a little differently, then, you know, obviously the answer could be different. But um, to me, this implies that they can't without him, which I don't think that's the case. I think they're in the driver's seat right now, and he's not even here. Um, it's a beer, uh, but again, don't get me wrong. Adding him back to the mix is going to make them out much of a better team. Put him back with Horvat, which before they got hurt, it looked like they had already developed chemistry. Uh, so it's going to be a good day when he's back. Hopefully he can start skating soon. Um, I think it's, it was speculated that obviously not by anybody from the team because they don't say anything specific to injury, but that uh, MCL sprain, which is usually four to six weeks, It'll be five weeks um, this Saturday since he got hurt. So hopefully he could start skating soon. But, um, yeah, I'm going to welcome him back, back with open arms. But this particular answer is a beer. And uh, for anybody listening on audio, the actual way I worded it was Islanders need Matt Barzell back now to make the playoffs. So, and Anthony risking his life because as Lou's watching to uh, divulge <laughs> some information for us. Philk, what do you think? <laughs> Shot. 
a team that goes six, three and one in 10 games without arguably their best player. They don't, they don't need, need him back now. They just need him to get healthy and they need to continue to play that the way that they're playing. And that's it. I mean, this team has shown that they can win games without him. So what, and they've got seven, they've got points in seven of the 10 games. So this is absolutely a shot. Um, I think I think you guys convinced me from the A block and even now that it should be a shot. And I'm going to go with it being a shot. And it's funny because I was on uh, Twitter today and somebody uh, posted a question uh, with all the stats of Bill Villier versus Bo Horvat and plus saying the Islanders gave up Atu Rati and, and um, Atu Ratu. I know Steven's watching. You would prefer if I pronounce his name right. And um, uh, also, and also a first round pick. And he, and the question was, did the Islanders get fleeced? And one thing I said is Horvat is the player that they want. And Beauvillier was not producing anymore as an Islander. So going to what I was saying with this, before they started this run, you're going to really see the effect Bo Horvat has on this team. And Anthony, I think you're really seeing what Bo Horvat's doing. He's a calling influence in the room. He's great on faceoffs, good defensively. And this, he's he's a perfect New York Islander, isn't he? Well, yeah, he is. Um, he's not scoring at the same clip he did when he was in Vancouver, but um, you know, I think uh, I think that a lot was to be expected. The Islanders play a much different system, but Bo Horvat, regardless, has been phenomenal for the Islanders just in all areas of the ice, what he brings in the face-off circle, and he's been playing the PK. Um, you know, so, yeah, he, he's been great, but getting Barzell back will help because, you know, then he'll have him on his wing. And, again, as I mentioned, they had a lot of uh, they had a lot of chemistry before uh, Barzell went down. Um, but one center that did just come back, J.G. Pajo missed the last 12 games. He was back in the Islanders lineup last night. Um, and he's he's really important, too. I mean, he, he's, the, he's their third-line center. Um, he's one of their better matchup centers, if not the best one they have. Um, and he could chip in offensively. You know, he scored a goal last night. So um, getting him back is also a huge win for the Islanders right now. All right. Let's move on to the next one, which is, uh, hey, I think it was you, Phil, that brought this up during the trade deadline. Possibly one of the most under-the-radar winners in the trade deadline, Washington, for picking up Rasmus Sundin. Correct. Sandine, who at the deadline, uh, they got him nine points, a goal, and eight assists in the five games about uh, being a capital. Why can't I speak all of a sudden? Rasmus Sundin was the steal of the trade deadline, Mister Filkowski. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, a round for this because you you got a player that is going to be a part of your plans now and in the future. And, and for a team like Washington, that's in a very weird situation where they're not bad enough to completely justify a scorched earth rebuild. And they're not good enough to make the playoffs right now, either with all the injuries and everything else that's gone around this mm-hmm. team with them. Um, this is a real, real good pickup because he's going to be, he's going to be a core piece going forward. And I don't think this, this deal is really talked about enough. And he was really good for, for watching him last night. He was really, really good for them if you were watching him. So um, I, I I love this move. I, I, I hate the fact that it, it had to go to a division rival, 
But getting a guy, a former first round pick that just needed a change of scenery, like Sandine, just excellent move, uh, masterclass move by Washington to get him. So round for me. Anthony, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go round too. Uh, it was a move. It was a savvy move by the Capitals because they sold a lot of pieces. But in this deal, they got a guy that's going to, you know, it's young that's going to be around, you know, as they retool here in the next coming years. And, you know, he, he was, he's been playing really well since the trade. He's still got, you know, high upside. Um, so I think this is actually a layup, to be honest. Uh, however, with that said, you know, what's a, a close second for me. Um, and keep an eye on it is the Blues getting Jacob Brana because he went through a lot with being in the player assistance program. But since he went to Detroit, all the guy's done is just score goals. He scored a lot, he scored at a high clip goals per game when he was actually in the lineup. Um, and the Blues got a guy for next year, he's on the contract for next year. That if he's healthy and everything's okay, you know, that could be a 25 30 goal score in your lineup that you just stole for nothing. I think because the Red Wings were itching to play. I think Don't he could be a 30 plus guy in that team. I mean, you got pieces around him. You've got you've got Kyra, who's one of the best skaters and one of the better offensive players in the league. You've got Robert Thomas, who's one of the best yeah. young and upcoming two way centers in the league. You've got Pavel Buchnevich. We don't really need to talk about that much more. It's already been beaten <laughs> to a pulp. But um, well, I mean, he's the greatest Ranger ever to lace up skates, according to Twitter. Great, great player playing well. And they, they've got pieces to build around going forward. So, yeah, I, I do agree. Jacob Vrana fits in like a glove with that team. And you know what, guys? Make it a clean sweep again. Uh, I think this is a great move. He was so noticeable last night in that game. And you just looking at the numbers, in five games, one goal, eight assists, nine points. With Toronto this year, in 52 games, four goals, 16 assists, He's almost matched halfway through the production that he had with the Leafs <laughs> in a tenth of the games. Like, and he's only going to get more of an opportunity there, especially with uh, Carlson being out right now. So, we're going to see about that. It's going to be. You know, I'll add one more thing before we move on, real quick, with this one. It's mm-hmm. funny because when Anthony and I went to the 2018 draft, I actually asked Sam Cosentino about when I interviewed him, why was Sandine's stock falling? And they, they questioned his, some of the scouts were questioning his compete level. Boy, is he ever making them eat those words right now? Yeah. Well, the change of scenery can do that for a lot of guys. Or um, anybody, most records, NHL history in points. What? What? Oh, sorry. Uh, again, why am I having trouble speaking all of a sudden? Yeah, you, the, you just the, have an NHL aneurysm. record in points in the season for a team. Thank you. <laughs> NHL record for most points, points in a season. Points in a season for a team. For a for oh for what uh, team points? Yes. Oh, um, I believe that is the. I, th- I think that might be the eighteen nineteen Lightning now. Anthony. Is it the the ninety eight Red Wings? It is the seventy six seventy seven Montreal Canadiens. The ninety six Red Wings finished one point behind them. Tampa Filk finished 
uh, three points behind them. They finished with 129. 129, okay. Yeah. Oh, it was the 90, it was the 96 Red Wings? I said 98. 98, yeah. Yeah, the 90, yeah. Well, I, I knew which team you meant, Anthony. Obviously, it was that one. The 96 Red Wings, by the way, I believe they're the ones with the most wins. 62, which Tampa tied. Yes. That's so where I got that's, okay. that's a different story. Obviously, the Boston Bruins right now, 105 points, and they're going for it. And traditionally speaking, all the teams in pro sports with the most wins in the season have not won a championship. It would be wise for the Boston Bruins not to go for the points record. And uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say shot on this guys. And the reason why I'm going to say shot on this and I'll start us off is because I don't think the Bruins matter at, at all with this. I think they're already in, they got Bergeron and all the vets they could just they could just put it on cruise control the rest of the way, still break the record, and I don't think it's going to change them mentally. Tampa, when they were 129, they never had playoff success, or at least not since 2015. Um, well, Vasilevsky really didn't have it, but they they, they never they were like primed for a fall, so to speak. This time, I I don't I don't think that it affects the Bruins in any way. Phil, what do you think? Um, it was definitely a shot. This is a layup. I mean, just you try to win as many games as you possibly can win. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't think Boston is going to. I there. All right, so there's 16 games left. You can only win 32 points at that point. If you if that's if they go 16 and oh, obviously in these last 16 games, but um. They need 27 to tie the record, and I, I just I don't see it. While they could, I, I just don't see it, and I don't think they're concerned with it. I, I, I don't, and Jim Montgomery should – he's doing a great job, and I'd imagine that the conversations in that locker room are said, who gives a shit about this record? We don't care about it. We care more about that cup at the end of the year. So let's go forward. Let's just try to win every shift, every period every game, and then we take it one game at a time, and that's it. And it's funny you say that, Phil, because Brad Marchand did say that on NHL Network. Anthony? You're a silly, silly man, Marcus. Silly man. This is uh, <laughs> this question is, I mean, player, players, they don't care. They just go out and they try to win every game. They're not concerned about, oh, well, we can't win. We can't get the points right because that means we're not going to win. Get that out of it. No, they, they don't care. They just want to win hockey games. They're focused on winning a Stanley Cup. Anything else is secondary shot. Well, once again, it that's for the players. Management and coaches would consider sitting no, players. Even, even to try management, to make things they easier. want their team to win. They want their team to win. No. I see, I, see that reach you, I, see, I see that reach you did there. And hey, I can we, can we get a gift of stretch, a stretch Armstrong for Mark? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You guys, you guys are getting me new graphics. I'm gonna have to try to figure these out every single, every single time. Maybe even not Stretch Armstrong. Do Reed Richards. Uh, maybe that's it. By the way, in that 129 point season for Tampa Bay, remember who the MVP was? Wait, wait in, in 2019. In 2019. Yeah, Nikita Kucherov. Because Nikita Kucherov this season, 27 goals, 69 assists, 96 points, third in the NHL right now. I, I I was surprised when I found that out. I'm like, he's third in the NHL? 
almost 100 points already. So I got to ask, Anthony, Nikita Kucherov has quietly put together another MVP quality season. I mean, it's around. Um, however, when you have a guy by the name of Connor McDavid playing in the same league, um, it's just simply not going to happen for Kucherov this year. Uh, but, I mean, he's been he's been phenomenal for Tampa Bay. Um, you know, Braden Point's been really good, too. If my memory serves it correct, I think Point's over 40 goals. Um, so he's got other, you know, good players, very good players around him. But Kucherov's the guy that drives the team. Um, he's just so dynamic. Uh, I mean, needless, I got to admit, I don't, I don't like him. Sometimes I don't like the way he plays the game. Uh, but you can't deny his talent. Uh, and, yeah, like I said, if it weren't for McDavid, I think he would be, you know, close to the top of the list. But, um, you know, he, he's he's fantastic for sure. So uh, it's around. Philk? I mean, MVP quality any other year. So I'm going to say beer just because it, it – any other year, it, it like let's just say if Connor McDavid had – maybe only like 105 points right now or 110 points. Okay. Like I could definitely give Nikita Kucherov the MVP over McDavid at that point, even though I, I think it still might go to McDavid, but I, I, Kucherov has absolutely had a phenomenal season. Nobody's talking about it. You look at the MVP talks, the hard talks, you're looking at McDavid, looking at Robertson's name has been mentioned, even though he's kind of cooled off a little bit lately. Tage Thompson, a lot of people have been talking about because, God forbid, Buffalo made the playoffs. People would be giving votes to Tage Thompson. Um, and then I've heard Linus Olmark's name mentioned, but nobody's talked about Nikita Kucherov and how good he's been. So, uh, yeah, um, he's quietly put together a hell of a season, but MVP quality, not this year. I think I'm not going to compare him to McDavid. I'm just going to say it's a quality season. He, I, I would actually make him a finalist right now. So I would say that. That at least puts him in the conversation. Look, it's McDavid. We we said in our preseason talks, guys, that the uh, McDavid's automatically going to get named for a finalist for the MVP every single season. In this particular case, I, I, I wow, this has been so quiet. I had Tage Thompson as my midseason MVP. McDavid is 29 points clear of second place, which is his own teammate and Leon Dreisaitl. You, you, so, and, and you know what's funny enough? There have only been two players that have had gaps that big between the number one leading scorer in the league and the number two leading scorer in the league. <coughs> and you could probably take a wild guess at who those two players are. I'm guessing their names rhymed with Retsky and Omu. Yeah. Those guys, the guys who, who wore the same number basically upside down and doubled. <laughs> yeah, those Damn. guys, the types of leads that we, we that Connor McDavid has, has had. So, yeah. Anthony. I, before we move on, I, I think they should I think they should look at how they, how they determine you know who wins trophies. Like MVP, last year Kirill Kaprizov had 108 points. And I think you got to start looking at it as in the sense of who is the player that if you take them off their team, they're they're bad or they're not going to be nearly as good. For me last year, that was the wild at Kaprizov. He had 108 points. I mean, he's mm -hmm. by far and away the guy drives that team. You take him off the wild, 
they're not nearly as good. You take Austin Matthews, who won the MVP last year off the Leafs. I got news for you. The Leafs are still a playoff team. So, I, and even, you could go on and on, like the Norris Trophy. Sometimes they just give it to the guy who has the most points, rather who defends the best. I think yeah, you really have to take a long, hard look and, and, change, and change how they view the parameters on this, you know, on, on how they determine who should win the most valuable player award. Because for me, it's in the essence of the name, most valuable player. Who's the most important player on the team? If you take that player off, are they bad? Yes. Well, then he's the MVP. I just well, don't like how they, how they work. Phil, go with what you're saying first. The, all right. So two things. That was the argument that I had for Igor Shosturkin last year as to why he should have won. You know, he was the best goaltender in the league. You take him off the Rangers. Rangers weren't a playoff team if you, you moved him. That that was just how mm-hmm. bad they were without him. Um, and the other thing is is that I've seen people support arguments for Ilya Sorokin for the heart uh, because if you take Ilya Sorokin away from the Islanders, they're probably on the outskirts of the, the lottery for Bedard, which I think might be a little sensational because I think their roster is good. But I, I get the point that Islanders fans are trying to make with that. So, uh, yeah, I, I do agree with you overall. I think they need to stop looking at the top score in the league. Um, it's just like the, the Norris Trophy. They need, they need a Bobby Orr Trophy. And they need to give that to the best offensive defenseman and then give the Norris the best two-way defender. And then, you know, maybe, maybe the Pearson needs to be a little more of – or the Ted Lindsay Award, whatever you want to call it, needs to be a little more of the uh, – just the best player and just that's it. And then there needs to be more distinction between that and the heart. Uh, first, I would want to say that I think that most writers do distinguish that and that if a guy is valuable, Kirill Kaprizov was my preseason MVP. Clearly he's not going to be with his uh, injury that he suffered uh, this week. And um, hopefully he gets, he he's, recovers quickly. Cause that didn't look like a good, a good hit and no. his knee buckling. No. So the other thing to go with that is that I, I think you're right about that. Phil. I think there needs to be a Bobby Orr trophy. I also think there needs to be a Rod Langway trophy. So, and then the art and then the Norris trophy is for the person that does both. Well, not just the defensive aspects of the game. And obviously uh, the interview uh, we had on the show, I would love to say friend of the channel. Hopefully you still are Jacob Slavin. We we would definitely give him the first Rod Langway trophy, but let me go around to you guys real quick. So who are your three finalists for the MVP? Anthony, you first. Well, obviously McDavid, because he's scoring at historic pace or, you know, he's 130 points. He's going to, yeah. Uh, So McDavid, um, I want to say Thompson, but the Buffalo is likely not going to make the playoffs. That really kind of takes him out of it. So um, I'll do McDavid, Robertson, uh, and Kucherov. Filk. Uh, yeah, McDavid's going to win it, so that's obvious. Um, I, want, I want to say Jason Robertson, too, just because I, I, I think that with, without him, Dallas is – Dallas ain't making the playoffs. I can tell you that <laughs> right now. Um, I wanted to say Tage Thompson, but, again, Buffalo's not making the playoffs. And the same for Florida. If, if, if Makachuk can find a way to will the Panthers to the playoffs, I would give him that other finalist spot. Um, but 
I'm probably going to have to go with David Pasternak. Um, I don't want to give it to Linus Olmark because I just, I've had questions about Olmark and I, I, you know, Swayman's been putting up numbers close to what he's been putting up, obviously minus the wins because, you know, Olmark has the, the lion's share of the games, but David Pasternak has just been the fire plug on that offense. If you take David Pasternak away from that team, they might still make the playoffs, but barely. And I, and the rest of the lineup doesn't do what they're doing without David Pasternak. So David Pasternak would probably be my number three. And I would probably have to say Tage Thompson would be in my top three, even still, because he still has just done wonders with that Sabres team. And of course, McDavid and Kucherov is the other two. I was wondering which one of us was going to work Makachuk in there. Thanks, Bill, because he does deserve some mention. I, if not for that injury, Jack Hughes could have been in here too. Like he has had such an amazing year, but he had that injury that took him out for a few weeks. All right. We're going to get back on track right now because a guy that's having another great season. And if you know this channel, you know, he's one of my favorite players that I like to look at in the league. Miko Rantanen. 43 goals, 35 assists, 78 points this season. And when uh, Nate McKinnon was out, he was really carrying the load offensively for the Colorado Avalanche. Filk, Miko Rantanen is the most overlooked player in the NHL. Layup, round, just a, a guy that has 43 goals. He's three goals back of being second place in the league. Um, in goals and Nathan McKinnon has missed time. Um, I know McKinnon has more points than him and less games, but, and Ranton is probably not the most valuable or important player on the team, but he is beyond valuable. Um, this is, this is a guy that has been primarily known as a playmaker, but now all of a sudden he looks like he's going to score 50 goals like that. Like and the, and how good he is defensively, I mean that gets overlooked too. Uh, Miko Rantanen for me is definitely the guy that nobody talks about when you talk about like superstar or elite level players. Nobody's mentioning Rantanen, and it, it's it's a shame because he's a great player. He really is, and I, I mean he deserves all the praise in the world for how good he actually is. So yeah, I, I'm buying. I'm round on this one. All right, Anthony. I'm gonna go round too, but um, I think there's I think there's a lot of guys that are kind of you know overlooked for a while. It was Barkov was viewed as one of the most underrated overlooked guys, and you know over the last couple of years he started to get a lot of recognition. Um, but I I think um, I think it is ranting in though. With that said, uh, you know he's he's a guy that he's a elite goal scorer um you know he's big he's not afraid to go to the net he's got a really good shot um you know he, he compliments mckinnon very well um he's just a great all-around player um and you know what if i, I want to say his name but it's only really one year he's scoring at this level but but if elias peterson scores you know at the, at the pace he's doing the, you know this year next year then i would have to throw him in there too because you know, Pedersen on a bad team has 83 points. He's up there in the, amongst the league leaders. Um, he's he's really coming out. He's having a hell of a year. It's amazing because, as I said before, I love Misa Mika Rantanen. I'm actually only going to go beer on this. 
only because he won the Stanley Cup. And when you're you're constantly the most overlooked and underrated player, like Alexander Barkov is, like Jerome McGinley is, eventually everybody starts looking your way because they're always told, hey, you're overlooked. Here's a guy that's overlooked, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who is right now 83 points this season. That's got to be a career high. I mean, I haven't looked at it. So there's that's got to be in there. I mean, yeah. great in point. This is his best season in a while. I understand. I know he's got 40 goals, but he is he's not been at this level for a while in the regular season. Here's and you know, then you other know, guy some other guys like uh I I mean, I'm trying to disprove it right now. I mean, I'm looking right now at William Nylander, who's about to cross 80 points, or uh Kyle Connor. We all know how good Kyle Connor is. And Zach Hyman. Yeah, Connor's definitely another overlooked one. But again, they're they're on the book of there's so many overlooked players. Eventually you have to start looking at them because you're everybody say they're overlooked. So all right, let's move over to the Western Conference and let's look at the Western Conference wild card. Seattle 81 points, 79 for Washington, 75 for Nashville. And new GM Barry Trotz. We never talked about it that Anthony. We'll talk about that after bar talk. Calgary with 74 points. Now, Nashville's got two games at hand on all the teams, but they got three games at hand on Winnipeg. That's one thing I had to note. I couldn't put it all in the graphic. Despite selling at the deadline, the Nashville Predators will make the playoffs, Mr. LaRocco. Um, I think you changed it. I don't think I wrote will make the playoffs. Now I got to I, I changed it because I didn't want Phil yeah. to, to um, call out on it. So I mean, it, you know, it's 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 funny because they were an afterthought, and then, then you know you see them sell off Tanner Janot, Matthias Ekholm, um, Nino Niederreiter, Mikel Granlund. Uh, uh, you know, they Trotz got hired as GM and kind of released a letter like saying ba- basically patience and we're going to do things the right way here. And here they are, four points out with two games in hand. And and you know, as in the past when we talked about games in hand in relation to teams have games on the Islanders they do mean nothing unless you win them but I mean it's it is only four points and I do have those in there and the way the Jets are playing lately it's not crazy to think that the Predators you know could really still make a run which a lot of people had them dead in the water but being that you changed the will um I gotta go I mean I gotta go with beer I mean I can't go with rounder shots that implies no shot which isn't the case so um it's a beer I don't know I think they might flame out it's hard, uh, but Saros is a really good goalie, and if Winnipeg continues to falter, hey, you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah, Anthony, because I had to, because it would have been the Calgary situation from last week where we we said the first answer, yeah, and then Phil yeah. said, because it was originally worded, yeah. that they can make the playoffs. Of course, Phil yeah. would say, they got three games in hand. They win all of them, they're yeah. in. It's only a beer, and yeah, then yeah. we're stuck. So, Phil, yeah. Nashville, are they a playoff team? Will the Nashville Predators make the playoffs? I'm going to say shot. <laughs> All right. They have a minus two goal differential. Minus two. That's not good. It's not good. And they, they traded away a, a, a standout core defensive defenseman, Matias Ekholm to Edmonton. Um, and amazing that they're playing as well as they have despite that. But I, I just don't see it. I like Saros and Net, but – the, the team that they're chasing has a former Vezina winner in net. And I think Winnipeg, 
they're not going to be in this funk for too much longer. They're going to figure it out. They're going to, they're probably going to get there. And there's a guy that's deserving of the Norris trophy on that team. That's going to lead that charge in Josh Morrison. So I, I just don't see it. Can they? Yes, but that's not the question. So will they is the question. And it's a shot for me. I am going to go beer and I'll go beer for different reasons. Yes. They do have the three games in hand. Yes. They can win them all and get in. Here's where I have my issues, by the way, just to say yet again, sorry, everybody. Uh, Roman Yossi should have won the Norris last year. However, it's this year. It's a different year. And by the way, Kale McCarr, uh, you're killing my fantasy team, bud. <laughs> I, I really needed you to be better. <laughs> However, I keep addressing this. This is the longest I've addressed this, or the most I've addressed this all season. But the number one strength of schedule remaining for any team, including anyone that's looking to try to make the playoffs, Ottawa Senators, number one. They have a lot of bad games. But number two, the Nashville Predators. The Nashville Predators have... Boston wants, Carolina wants, Toronto, uh, Vegas, Rangers, Dallas. And then they also get Chicago, St. Louis, Buffalo, and Calgary. So, I mean, and are now looking at this, how tough Winnipeg's is. Winnipeg is got the second, the, the 22nd ranked. They get Boston, De- uh, the Devils, LA, Minnesota Wild, the Colorado Avalanche, Nashville twice. That's where it could actually uh, change things around. And then these are just their hardest, their easiest. It's not all their games. Two against San Jose, one against the Ducks, one against uh, Arizona, one against the Blues, Red Wings, and uh, Calgary Flames. They could so, fall out of that spot in the next two games if you look at it. Because the, the way they they're playing, they're thinking like a rock. Boston hasn't been playing great lately. You'd imagine that they're going to come back. Uh, against Winnipeg, pissed off beyond belief uh, 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 tomorrow night. And yeah, because who'd they lose to last night, Phil? Chicago. <laughs> Chicago, yeah. They lost you lose to Chicago right now, you have to earn it. Off. And Chicago was playing well. They lost to one of the worst rosters we've seen I since maybe the 01 Blue Jackets or the, or, or the 01 Wild or – Maybe the 99 Predators. We're, we're talking about rosters that mirror expansion team level rosters under the old expansion formats. That's how bad this Chicago roster is. They, they might be as bad as the uh, Colorado roster that only won, what was it, 48 points in the year before? Uh, 2013. Year before. Yeah. Well, they sorry, 2017 was a really bad Colorado year. Yeah, they already had McKinnon, and they were just really bad. Yeah. All right, so, yeah. But speaking about which and speaking about bad teams, guys, this stat was brought up by our Mr. Anthony LaRocco with us. Most five-on-five points in the NHL this season. Eric Carlson leading the charge with 53. Tage Thompson, 51. Connor McDavid, 50. Braden Point, 48. And David Pasternak, 47. Even if the Sharks finish in last place, Eric Carlson deserves the Norris Trophy. Filk, we'll start with you. Shot. Layup. <laughs> Look at San Jose's goal differential at five on five with Eric Carlson on the ice. 
Despite Eric Carlson being the NHL's leader in even strength points, San Jose is still a negative with him on the ice at even strength. This trophy should be for playing defense because it's for defenders. Eric Carlson cannot defend. He is great at moving the puck out of his zone. If the premise of playing defense was keep away and keep away only, Eric Carlson would be the best ever. But it's not. So this is a shot because Eric Carlson needs to learn how to cover in his own zone. And he's not going to do that at, what, 33 years old now? I think he is. Or 32, whatever he is. No, he's having a great year, a possibly historic year. But he is not a good defenseman. This team is not going to make the playoffs. And they're bad with or without him. So it's not like you could say he's even the most valuable defenseman to his team. Because what is he doing? Going around and being the equivalent of a of a fantasy football player putting up garbage time points? Really, that's, that's what it is at this point. So, no. I, I mean, absolutely not. Josh Morrissey has made more of an impact on his team. Rasmus Dahlin, if you want to give it to another defender, because the NHL historically has just not given this award to defenders who have uh, not made the playoffs. Adam Fox, the first to do it, just remember that. Um you could give it to Rasmus Dahlin over him, Josh Morrissey. Oh, and then there's this guy named Adam Fox, who's actually playing really good, playing really well, is an analytics monster, and checks all the boxes. Anthony? Um, so it's a shot. Uh, but, you know, oddly enough, I just saw – it was like the other day, uh, Jackie Redman on our Instagram page had a – had like a reel or a story up about um about proving of basically trying to um yes you know, discredit and Don, all Don the Eric, got into that thread yes Eric Carlson uh debate of why people saying he shouldn't win the Vesna because he doesn't defend well it isn't true and kind of spewed out all these spewed out all these stats you know disproving it um so with that said there are a lot of people behind him um and unfortunately. Phil mentioned Dom from the Athletic about a week ago. He had all, he had all his winners of the trophies based on you know based on his models. Uh, he had Fox winning the Norris, and oddly enough, which was surprising, on his models he had Sorokin as the most deserving Vesna Trophy winner. But the point of it is, you know, he, his 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 models and predictions are based on you know analytics and all that stuff. He he yeah he goes on. That's not how. These GMs and people who who vote on uh, writers on various trophies vote. They vote on black and white, you know, stuff like points and stuff. So they're going to see Eric Carlson, the amount of points he has, career year, you know, first in scoring on five on five, and they're probably going to hand him the trophy. Um, for me, it's a shot, but I have a feeling he's probably going to win it because again, they don't vote on analytics and stuff that kind of like you know really matters. Um, they they vote on other things. I, I agree with you, and it, that makes that brings me up something here. There, there are precedents for this to not happen. One, Adam Fox won the Norris on a non-playoff team in a COVID-shortened season, so that might have been part of the reason why he won. Two, there is a precedent 
for a 100-point defenseman to not win the Norris Trophy. Al McInnes in 1991 scored 100 points for the Calgary Flames, but <clears throat> Ray Bork won the Norris Trophy because Ray Bork was widely considered the best two-way defender in the game, and he was by far. So, um, yeah, there's precedent for this. I'm going to jump in and just say shot as well. If they're going to be in last place. They're about to be let. They got two games in hand and they're about to be last, last place overall in the league. No way. Am I giving it to a guy? I don't care how many points he has. And I don't care how many points that they're saying five on five. Great. Those are all good numbers. You still got to do things on specialty teams too. I understand. They got to keep the puck out of the net. You're called a defenseman. Or well, yeah, and, 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 96 points last year and was a better defenseman and they gave it to a guy who had less points and wasn't even the top scorer on his own team. Roman Yossi was the scorer on his own team. If they give it to Eric Carlson, then the voting makes absolute no, no sense and it's a sham. And I believe so Yossi, it was the first, of, sorry, I think, let me get this out. Uh, I, yeah. uh, I believe Yossi was the first guy over 95 points where no one on his team had 85 Anthony, go ahead. One of the things that the Jackie Redmond said in her video to support Carlson that um, him being a puck, you know, a puck possession monster and transporting the puck is essentially him being a good defenseman because he's keeping the puck away from opposing That's teams. That's what I said before. So, keep away is not is not all of yeah. defense. And a lot of people have said that about Carlson in the past. It's well, that, that was the reasoning why he won in 2012 over Shea Weber. Oh, well, playing keep away is a way of playing defense. Okay, so then you have to be so good at, at playing keep away that you would have to you would have to score what like 130 points to be a net positive player at even strength. He's still the San Jose Sharks are still a widely margined negative team <laughs> at even strength. <laughs> in terms of goal differential with Carlson being the league leader in even strength points. That just shows you how bad he is defensively, because if that was the case and he was playing keep away the whole time, then those goal differential numbers would be a lot better in San Jose's favor. And they're not. I got to love how Anthony's just chilling out right now. He's got his knee up and his, he's resting his arm uh, right there. It's just uh, as, as, as Philk is passionately going about this. He's right. Because, guys, all right, let's go to the desert and let's look at another player that's been overlooked. He's been doing really well, especially as of late. Uh, Yuso Valamaki, who has two goals and 26 assists this season, 28 points in total, a minus five rating. But he is tied for the most assists in the NHL since the month of February. Anthony, the Coyotes claiming Valamaki off of waivers is the most underrated move of the year. Um, definitely a great move for him. I'm going to say beer only because of one name, Tolvanen, but the Kraken claiming him off Nashville since, since he got to the Kraken, he's got 22 points in 33 games, 12 goals. Um, he's been, he's been a different player in Nashville and it's seeming like Nashville made a big oops by waving him, um, because he's, he's playing really good hockey and he's contributing to the to the crack and um you know in a you know good role he plays on the power play scoring goals so um it's a beer for that reason but valamaki i mean the flames 
the Flames let a guy go that was once pretty highly regarded themselves, and the Coyotes for a team that you know has trouble getting talent. Um, you know, they they recognize a guy who still had a lot of upside. Um, they picked them off waivers for cheap, and you know it's, he's reaping the benefits. And for a team that's going nowhere next year, it's good to have a guy like him in your lineup that you know it's cost controlled and will be cheap for you, but yet still give you results on the ice. Mr. Fogalski. Yeah, I, I'm going round on this. Um, I, I, I understand Tolvanen, and, and I, I think it's a little easier to hit on forwards like that, like especially with a guy like Tolvanen who was a first-round pick, uh, highly regarded prospect, was yeah. once considered one of the better players in the world outside of the NHL because um, of how much how great of a goal scorer he was. But um, I... I I have to go around here because Valamaki, uh, he's actually tied with 16 assists since February 1st for the most assists in in, in the league by defenseman since then. So um, Valamaki is playing some great, great hockey. And I know it's a, it's a small sample size, but he's been solid for them all year. And now he's just found a, a different level. And he's actually been a real big part of, of – why Arizona has been playing almost playing themselves out of the Bedard lottery lately. Oh. So um yeah, this is a round for me. Uh so I'm gonna make it a round as well. And I'm gonna say exactly the same reasons that you just said, Phil, except I'll say this. They were able to trade off their two top defensemen, especially their two top offensive defensemen. Those numbers are gonna balloon up pretty quick. I would actually go stab him, stag him right now. And as Steven's saying, the main reason why they claimed them was one of the Coyotes D couldn't get a visa in time to travel for a, uh, to Canada for a game. They picked up Valamaki from Calgary, bypassing that issue. October wow. 9th, uh, they, they claimed him off waivers. And wow, just amazing because this guy has been nothing but solid for them this year. I mean, those numbers are going to get better because there's no more Chitrin. There's no more Gossip Bear. So he's anchoring that power play and they just picked off Calgary yet again. We were just talking about it before. Last night, they about, beat them in overtime, Travis Boyd. Yeah. About the, there was so, if you just take just the, the numbers, the Calgary, the points, the Calgary flames potentially left on the table because they couldn't beat non-playoff teams. They might've been number one in the West. That's how bad they've been. So I can't, I actually still can't believe it myself, to be honest with you. All right. And we got one more for you, which is the NHL needs to restrict the time on goal reviews. We're actually, let me change that to instant replay reviews, guys. Uh, Philk. Uh, I feel like this could go both ways. I, I I like the idea of actually getting the call right. If it takes them a bit to get the call right, I think I would rather them get the call right mm-hmm. than just put an arbitrary time limit on it. And then maybe something comes along where they don't get something in from Toronto in time. And then it's, it's a view that shows, you know, that the play was offside clearly or something like that, or, you know, I, I listen, I don't know. It could be a, a slew of things, but, I, I, I'm gonna say shot on this because I'd rather I'd rather them get the call right than just have to be. And I, I, I get it. 
I get why people say this because, you know, in the NFL, if they're, if they're challenging things and they're taking forever. And you know what, if they, if they, if you can't figure it out in such and such time, that means it's too close, uh, means it's too close to really make a decision on, you know, not really enough to overturn. I, I get that premise, but I'd rather them get the calls right. Anthony. Yeah, I agree with John. Everything he said is what I was going to say. So um, just shot for me. I think it's the replay is there to get rid of egregious calls, whether it's Dwight King falling on top of Henrik Lundqvist in 2014. I will always go back to that one or whether or not a puck crossed the line. If you have to do what the Calgary flames had to do in 2004 with it. They had well, yeah. Uh, Martin Jelena. It looked like he might've won them the Stanley cup, but you had to blow it up. You had to, like locate it in one spot and it's still from one camera angle. It's not from another one. There's still not a definitive view and we could still be sitting here. If there's no time limit on things, I say two minutes, get rid of everything. And I'm buying around on this. Of course, get rid of, get rid of the egregious calls. That's what we want to do. We want to get rid of Matt Duchesne going off sides. We don't need, we don't need it to be like, well, wait a minute. Did that possibly cross the line? Unless you have a valid reason, it's like that's why I'm okay with with the shorter reviews. However, yeah, I do understand what you guys didn't get the call right. But, but then, what's the point of having offsides at all? Then, if you're gonna, if you're going to technically let a play go just because it was just a hair offsides, then you're essentially saying offsides isn't a thing. Then, because technically it's offsides, well, we're it's still the, calling it a it's goal. It's the letter of the rule, not the spirit of the rule. That's what we're trying. Um, my argument is, yeah, yeah I don't you, know. You could do that. You can't see that. Oh. Yeah. Soon, and I, I think I know where you guys are going to go with on this one. As soon as you open that up, you're opening up a huge can of worms. And then yeah, you can't it's got to be the letter of the, of the rule. Oh, well, yeah, that that and and like Anthony said, what's the point of actually having the rule if you're not going to enforce it in certain situations? That's a good point. I, I, you know, everybody, I, I that, do like this comment though here, like the uh, you know trackers and the pucks. I, I know that they're working on that, but I think when you get when you have the trackers on the pucks and you have the trackers you know built into the boards, I, I think that's going to help a lot more. I, I don't know how far they are from that, but I, I I think that would definitely help with a lot of these offside calls and reviews. I by the way, I I don't understand why they didn't use the green line i think it was about was it 10 or was i think it was 10 years ago they had that in they put a yeah, goal they, line they in. Do have trackers in them but not not to the not to the point for this stuff it, it, it's it's not for that it, it's a different type of tracker there was a line that was inside the net that was a full puck links away that if it touched the green line in any way it's a goal but they never really stuck with that i don't know why they didn't do that but that would actually help out because if you see any bit of the puck touch the green line, that's just another reference you could use. All right, everybody. That was the end of Big Apple Hockey's Bar Talk, where we're gauging our confidence on NHL topics based on our choice of drink. And, of course, for your choice of drink, why not go to Drizzly? Have them bring liquor to you or beer or whatever. They actually do everything. So why don't you go do that? Start an account with them. Click the link. It's in the bio below. Now, Unfortunately, guys, as I as I go to news and notes, I got to bring this up. We talked about it really right before the show, and that's did you see what uh, it was? A Carter Briere was that his first name? 
Carson. 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 Thank you. Carson. Well, I, he deserves to have his name changed now. He's probably going to have to because I don't know how he's going to ever have the pencil to erase or the eraser to erase this. I mean, it's, it's in ink now forever. Um, but him pushing a, a, a wheelchair down a flight of stairs at a club. Dumb. Stupid. Yeah. It's, just I, stupid. it's, 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 it's really dumb. Um, uh, it, you know, obviously you, you Mark, I sent the, the, you know, the, kind of the statement on Briere and his son, but you the one that sent the video. I hadn't seen it prior. Um, as you can see in the video, they were at a bar. Um, and I'm yeah. not making excuses for him, but he's likely drunk and he made a stupid decision. Um, and, and, now that's, and now that's going to, you know, follow him for a little bit. And he, ha- he has to deal with those. He has to deal with those repercussions. You know, he made the statement. Hopefully he's, he's truthful in it, you know, and he is, and he is sorry. And he, and he realized that, um, it was a poor choice. Um, but you know, like, like I said, with other, with other things, um, I also believe, you know, one incident shouldn't kind of, you know, shouldn't ruin you. So he, it was, it was really, it was a really bad thing to do, um, to do that. Uh, I guess, again, maybe alcohol played a role. I'm sure he's going to have to pay his dues, but hopefully he learns from it and never does anything like that again. Um, but at the same time, I also hope he doesn't, essentially just get absolutely buried because of one incident. I just want to say for the record, the only reason why I was laughing or smiling right there was because my roommate's three-year-old was knocking on, on my door for me just now had nothing to do with what the topic we were talking about was. Sorry. She's adorable. I I can't help that. Philk. I mean, Anthony kind of summed it all up. Uh, Just a dumb, dumb drunken moment from what it seems like we've seen a lot worse. Um, no, no, no one was in. The <laughs> that that would have made it a yeah, lot Yeah, no, that nobody was in the yeah, chair. That would have been really bad. Um, <laughs> a matter of fact, Granny, that was actually going to be my joke. Uh, the only way it could be worse if somebody was in the chair. See, yeah, yeah if you did that, I'd feel a lot different. Yeah, I, about I would it, feel but, a lot yeah, no. about that if it was someone in the wheelchair. Um, it's still a dumb move. Um, even, even if you're drunk, uh, it just... You see a wheelchair there. It's got to belong to somebody that's obviously disabled. Why are you touching it like that? Like, what are you doing? Just, yeah. just a mm-hmm. dumb, dumb move. Um, it, it's to me. It, I, I just hope the kid learns from it and is sincere, and that's that's really it. I, I just, I, I, we've seen a lot worse, and it could have been a lot worse. There also could have been someone that could have been coming out the door at the end of the stairs and that could have um, it could have, uh, you know, hit somebody walking out of that room. And that that could have caused a serious injury for somebody. So um, just that I'm thankful nothing like that happened. But, you know, just he he apologized right away. Um, He's young and it's a dumb, drunken move. And. Hopefully he will learn from this because if he doesn't learn from it, then that's a big problem. Well, can I ask this question? Well, what's the t- I, I I'm foggy on this. What's the timeline on it? Did the video come out and then he apologized, or did he apologize for what he did because people saw him, or did he apologize just knowing he did something wrong? <laughs> the latter is the I mean, best outcome for him. 
but likely the video came out first on the Twitter. The video came out first, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't like, like like um like Steven saying, Dowdy he's you know he plays for Mercyhurst College. Uh, I mean, maybe because of his name, like maybe he gets a shot like on a you know PTO when he's done playing collegiate hockey in the AHL or ECHL again because of his name. But I, I don't think he's ever going to have like a career in the NHL. So it's, I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Yeah, so that, that ends up being a good thing. By the way, I'm going to close the poll for the uh, the New York Rangers. The poll question today, what is your confidence on the New York Rangers to finish the season? Uh, the most popular answer still has work to do with 43%. Easily locked up third place, 36%. Can't afford to take a day off, 17%. And my personal favorite answer I gave you, fuck me, we suck at 14%. So, all right. Um, another, um, another note. I just wanted to pass along was that the, you know, the NHL meeting ownership meeting is going on right now. Um, and Bettman was asked about the, you know, rumors about Atlanta and expansion after, you know, weeks and butcher grass had kind of, you know, let the cat out of the bag, so to speak with their cryptic tweets. Um, and he didn't, he didn't deny it. He, he said something along the lines of that, you know, he acknowledged that Atlanta and other cities, Houston have expressed interest Um he said expansion's not on our front burner right now when it comes to, you know, topics. So he didn't he didn't all outright say, you know, we have no interest in expanding right now or we're not expanding. He just said that it's not a front burner issue right now. And like you know, Butcher Grass re- re- retweeted that tweet with like a kind of like a wink or something along those lines in a response, kind of like insinuating like. Yeah, because it it is happening, and that's why he didn't all out, you know, deny it. But um, just something to keep keep your eye on about, you know, possibly Leno or Houston getting a getting a team maybe in the near future. Well, before I throw off to another topic that Phil brought up before we uh, went live, uh, I I do have to say everybody's kind of neglecting what the market should be if they go to expansion. Houston is sort of a no-brainer. That's now, I think they're the third most populated city in America now. If you're going to expand, go to Texas. Then the Dallas Stars, it cuts down on their travel. They can actually have another team that they go to. By the way, if anybody wants to know, the Dallas Stars travel more than any other team in the NHL, which is amazing when you really think about it, more miles. Because you would think it would be like Florida or somebody like that. No, because the Dallas Stars, they don't have anybody close to them. So, but that's one. Quebec City and and is always mentioned as going back there. That would be the third time the NHL has gone back there because there was a there there was a team there before the Nordiques, but uh, I think that was even pre original six era, if I recall correctly. But they go back to Atlanta. It, it, it stop trying to make Atlanta happen. It's not going to happen. Why not Milwaukee or something like that? Wisconsin would be a hockey hotbed if you threw an because NHL team in there. It already is. I, I think you just mentioned with Houston and with the population, I think they're basing on the market and the population. Yeah, Milwaukee, I think Wisconsin, I think it would be great. But it's, it's, it's a small, even though I love hockey, it's a small market. Um, and, that's, and that's why, aside from the Canadian dollar, which Steve kind of referenced, that's also why they have hesitation in going back to Quebec because even though they love they love hockey there, Quebec in the grand scheme of things is a small the league deems as a smaller market. 
places like Atlanta and Houston are, are booming in terms of population and it's a big market and that's what they care about. Um, and it seems as, you know, if it does happen, it's, you got to think it's going to be Houston as well, because you can't just give Atlanta a team because then the league's unbalanced and odd amount of teams. So if they do expand, you got to believe it's going to be Atlanta and Houston. That's an easy, it's an easy situation. Again, one team, Houston in the West, Atlanta in the East, and they don't have to do, um, and they don't have to do a lot of uh, heavy lifting, um, so to speak, um, in terms of you know realignment. Uh, Atlanta, you know, Atlanta maybe goes into the Atlantic, or maybe they go back to the three divisions in each conference. But um, I think it's easy for the league to to fit in Houston and Atlanta. And Houston has a history with hockey with the Arrows. So I, that's another thing that would factor in. It, it, it's They've proven that they can be a hockey market, at, at, albeit at a lower level, and then the, the WHA, where the Arrows originally came from. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think Houston can work. I would love to see Quebec City back again. I, I just – uh, you know, as Steve was talking about with the Canadian dollar, and, and it's really it's the escrow when it comes down to is what what he's saying. It's just that if the Canadian dollar drops, that can really cause a lot of problems. And the Canadian dollar is a very volatile thing, we've seen. So yeah, um, I I just I don't know how viable Quebec City is. Hamilton is another name that's been thrown around in Canada. Um, for Canada, they are sort of a bigger market. Um, the only thing I would really worry about is just the fan base and it being too close to the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's what I think would really kill them. Kind of like how Hartford got killed by having Boston and the Rangers too close to them. Mm. That's what I think would, would really, really hurt Hamilton. Well, also, there's always been talk about a second Toronto team. Sorry, Anthony, go ahead. Steven's saying here with Atlanta in the suburbs, he's right. Kevin Weeks, though, he mentioned North Duluth, but um, it was Butcher Grass's original tweet. He said it would be Alpharetta. I don't know exactly where Al is in Atlanta. I guess it's closer to a suburb, but he said that's where the team would go, Alpharetta, one wherever of, that is. One of our viewers last week was talking about how that was like a like an upper an upper middle class type area where there's some money, but said that he didn't think that it would really catch on because there's not much of a of a, like a desire for it in that area. And, and also but, the Braves are there, and the Braves have been a disaster in that area, if I recall what he said. Yes, that's another thing that was mentioned. The Braves were there for a bit, and they did not prosper in that area. So, it, it, But the NHL is, and, and Atlanta, they're sort of like that couple that keeps trying to get back together, even though <laughs> they're going to end up beating <laughs> each other up or something. You're like... Just move on. I mean, Granny's mentioned in Kansas City right here. I think that's actually a pretty good, um, that's a pretty good option. But that died down ever since the the rumors. I haven't heard a peep about Kansas City since the rumors think, of the Islanders moving there twenty years ago. I think Kansas City's behind behind Houston and other locations. Um, so may, maybe further, further down the line, but. You know, if they do expand soon, I, I do think it will be Atlanta and Houston as the two teams. Well, they definitely want to get into Houston, and they've been talking about that one for a while. <laughs> Jason right here is asking, is anyone going to the game tomorrow night? And this is where I have to smile and say, yeah, Jason, I'm going in the game. Unfortunately, 
I'm crossing the devils off my mark on the road list. So I might see you at Penn Station as I walk by, even though I'm, uh, you know, uh, it'll be my first time going to the, the rock. And uh, I can't wait to see that. So hopefully there'll be some there'll be good video content for everybody. Uh, Phil, you were talking about uh, Gary Bettman and the NHLPA that they might be able to raise a cap. Yes, so um, there's word that uh, they would be open to uh, talking about raising the cap. So Gary, so this is from Frank Saravalli on his Twitter from uh, 4.49 p.m. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman signaled that he's willing to negotiate a salary cap increase for 2023-24. The question is, what does Bettman want in return from the NHLPA? As new NHLPA head Marty Walsh, <laughs> set to take the helm we have an idea of what might be so saravalli and I'll, I'll i'll read the article to you guys so nhl commissioner gary Bettman fired up the bat signal at the conclusion of the general managers meetings on wednesday letting incoming nhl players association executive director marty walsh know publicly that he is willing to negotiate on the league's hottest button issue salary cap increase for next season in other words game on Walsh is set to officially secede Donald Beer as the players' union head on Monday, his first day in the job after transitioning from his government post as the U.S. Secretary of Labor. And how next season's salary cap is bargained will be the first significant window into how the relationship might unfold between Bettman, Bettman and the fifth union counterpart of his tenure. That's insane. Fifth of his tenure. Uh, as first I four days go, this one will be interesting. By the letter of the NHL, NHLPA collective bargaining agreement extension negotiating negotiate in 2020. Bettman doesn't have to do anything. He told reporters in Florida on Wednesday that the remaining debt owed from players to owners as a result of pandemic damages projected to be approaching $100 million in that range at the end of this season. Even if $1 owed on the CBA, or, 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 sorry, is owed on the debt, the CBA calls for a scant $1 million increase in next season's salary cap which is why all 32 GMs left the meeting with $83.5 million set as their expectation. However, Bettman left the door open for a larger increase, saying that uh, saying for the first time that the NHL is open to discussion, when discussion in quotes, because we know how that can go. Um, I suppose that there's always a possibility of negotiation once the new executive director from the Players Association starts, but subject to that, it appears the cap will go up one million. Bettman told reporters. Saravalli goes on to say, anyone who spent any period of time around Bettman is smart enough to know that a negotiation is just that. Uh, I'm sorry to move for some reason. Okay, even if the majority of your owners and players all want it, and it's best for the game as a whole, why hand out a whole salary cap increase for free when you can get something for it? Few people on the planet are better at understanding leverage and Bettman question is, or question leaving Florida is what is Bettman looking in return? The belief is Bettman has his eye on something in particular. League sources say Bettman would consider raising the salary cap beyond the 1 million mandated by the CBA. If there is also a resolution to existing and unresolving hockey related revenue claims by the NHLPA that remain open from the last several seasons. Claims are relatively common in the auditing process to ensure that an exact 50-50 split is divided as the CBA calls for it to be 
League sources were unclear on exactly how much is in the dispute or the validity of the claims. But to boil it down for simplicity, the gist of the conversation from Bettman to Walsh might go something like this. If the NHLPA is willing to remove those claims, we can talk about a salary cap increase. It's impossible to know Walsh's stance, not even on the job yet. In the meantime, it appears that Bettman threw out a red herring on Wednesday, dangling the buzzwords that he knew would capture the attention of all NHL players. His warning was that increasing the salary cap next season might also increase the amount of escrow withheld from players' checks. We're hearing from around the bend uh, from players and others that there may be interest in having that negotiation, Bettman said. But one thing to keep in mind, if we're going to raise the cap and the debt hasn't been paid off, then we're going to have to look at raising uh, escrow rates. So as part of the 2020 CBA negotiation, players negotiated a cap on escrow withholding at 6% for the next three seasons. That was an important point for players who had previously uncapped quarters of withholding, ranging anywhere from 12 to 18% of their paychecks. But that 6% cap was also predicated on a few things, including that the projections that the debt would still be lingering into those seasons as a result of, a result of pandemic-related losses in revenue. With league-wide revenue rebounding stronger than expected, what a shock the NHL claims that we have record revenues but cries poverty. That's what I've been talking about for the last few weeks in regards to salary cap, have I not? So with league-wide uh, revenue rebounding stronger than expected, that $1.2 million, uh, billion dollar debt rather, has been repaid quicker than anyone might have originally envisioned. Once that debt is fully repaid, CBA calls for each salaries or each season's salary cap to be relinked to revenue projections as it was in the prior cap era of CBAs. So that means until the debt is retired, uh, which most reasonable projections indicate it will not be by the end of this season, next season will still be played under an artificially low salary cap figure. Picking up the breadcrumbs left by ben, uh, Bettman on Wednesday, who said that if it were retired, the cap would go up by approximately $4.5 million next season. It, could, it would stand to reason that the salary cap could increase by three to $3.5 million without the need to raise next season's 6% escrow cap. That's why his comments, which would surely bother NHL players, were a bit of a red herring. Bettman knows now that owners want to see their cap, salary cap moving in a meaningful upward trajectory now that somewhere between 85 to 95% of the debt has been repaid. He set it up, uh, he set it up a win-win for them, a win for GMs, and a public win for Walsh and the players to not increase the escrow cap so long as they don't ask too many questions. There are many ways to accomplish the end goal. Place your bets where you may, but if you're a fan of a team currently living and dying with each nickel in the salary cap, high Rangers fans, it's me. Um, then Wednesday marked a day to be confident that a fourth straight season of a flat cap won't come to pass. I actually kind of like the flat cap because I think it's, it's good for everywhere around the league. I think Wait, if you go what? to a soft cap. What? What? I think if you go to a soft cap, I think it's the Rangers, Toronto, all the big spending teams are just going to go right over it. There's no soft cap, though. Where are you getting a soft cap from? No, the, the, uh, uh, you said hard cap and flat cap. I'm sorry. I, did not say I, I went right to – because I've had people argue with me, with me on this on the NHL model. I'm oh, sorry, the NBA model. 
Like, I think if, as soon as you do that, you're going to get rid of all the small markets. Then that's no, right. you're not going to get rid of small markets and small markets should have to deal with. All right. So here, here's the thing we've been saying about the MLB and the whole Steve Cohen situation. Steve, what Steve Cohen is doing is great for the MLB because it forces the other assholes to not pocket their money and penny pinch and spend. And you know what? If they want to get left in the dust and they don't want to spend the money, then that's on them. And the fans should have the outrage with them and not Steve Cohen and not the MLB. It's the owners of your teams who don't want to spend the money, who, who claim to be billionaires and all this other crap and have all this money, but don't want to spend to win. You have to spend to win. Yeah. If all right, So let's just put this in a light perspective. If you want something out of something, you've got to invest in it. Correct? Yes. Exactly. You invest as, $5 as I'm in doing something, with you're going to get $5 worth something. If you invest $2,000 into something, you're going to get $2,000 worth. And these guys are all billionaires. If you don't want the financial responsibility of having to spend big sums of whatever money that you have in the bank, then don't own a sports team. It's simple. And by the way, uh, I'm actually kind of amazed about this, that it was, you said the fifth guy that's been under Bettman's watch. And I think that's been NHLPA head under Bettman's watch, according to Sarah Valley's article. Right. So I think 92-93 was his first season. That means no, I believe it was 93-94. 93-94, okay. But he yeah. was named 30 years ago. Yes. So he's still – all right. So fortunately, he missed Vacant, which was a good one. And even more fortunately, he missed Eagleson, which was yeah. another disaster. Yeah. But Goodnow, Bob Goodnow, Ted Saskin, Paul Kelly – uh. Ian Penny, Michael Lay, those were two interim ones. And Donald Fear, Jesus. I mean, I guess they didn't count the interim ones. So. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And I can't believe, I, I actually can't believe Donald Fear didn't destroy the NHL because he was a nightmare for MLB. Well, I mean, not really a nightmare, but he did a lot of good for MLB and he did a lot of bad for MLB when he was running there. You know, it's funny because this is actually a great comment from Joe here. Baseball has more parity among the champions than all of the hard cap leagues. And people are, and you're complaining about a soft cap and that, that soft cap wasn't even brought up in this because this, this whole thing has nothing to do with soft cap. Right. I, I ended up here in soft cap, hard uh, flat cap at the end and injecting. And you the thought soft hard cap, cap for some reason. No flat cap is just flat cap. Flat cap is just that it's been flat because of COVID reasons. So, yeah, not not going up. But, um, yeah, no, like, this, this is absolutely accurate. And it, it, the, the sad part is, is that there are owners around all sports, all four of them, but guys like Jeffrey Laurier are the most notorious. Yep. Because they pick pocket revenue sharing money and pocket money and don't spend on teams. And their teams suck because of it, because they're not willing to invest anything to, to, to get more of a return from them. And, and then there's other teams like Arizona who have crappy ownership and have needed stable ownership and a place to play. And, you know, you feel bad for them. But you, you need to have owners that are willing to spend. You don't want teams in continuous cycles 
of tanking for that next number one overall pick, hoping that they're going to get Connor friggin' Bedard or Connor McDavid in their drafts in an effort to, to build their teams around ELC talents so they can get the best team with spending the least money. And I get it. It's a business. You want to put the least amount of money in and get the best possible return that you can with spending the least amount of money. But you do have to spend to win in these leagues. And that's, and that's what some of these billionaires who aren't sports people don't seem to understand. Now, and Phil, go, piggybacking what you said from that, because you're talking about Jeffrey Loria. The guy that comes to mind for me is Carl Polad. So immediately I looked up to see who's been oh. the twins now. It's actually James Polad. And apparently he's doing more like what Rocky Wirtz has done with the Blackhawks that he's kind of turned yeah, that around. James Polad has been the Rocky Wirtz to, to uh, MLB. Bill Wirtz's Blackhawks. And, you know, with his father, his father, I guess, in, uh, in Minnesota with the twins. I mean, he, he's made some signings that you, you would have never believed that he would have made. I mean, he, he traded for Josh Donaldson, mm-hmm. uh, who had big money on his deal. Uh, they brought in Carlos Correa, which was another, you know, a big signing. I mean, they, they, Minnesota has been trying to win. And I, I don't even think they have an MLB title. I don't think they have a World Oh, no, Series. they got two. Oh, that's right. Kirby Puckett's. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. got an 87, Dan Gladden. Uh, I don't think he won the MVP. I remember uh, Gladden was really good in that series. Yeah, um, 87 and 91. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, because they beat St. Louis and then they beat the Braves. Yeah, the Kirby Puckett home run just going over the hockey-style plexiglass. And uh, we will see you tomorrow night. Yes. Yeah. Not since Puckett have they won. Yeah. And I love it that 30 years later, I know people hate him to mention his name. I love it that 30 years later, Joe Buck was able to uh, reprise that line for to honor his dad when um, it was David Freeze's home run with that when he was able to reprise that line. But I mean, you, you know what? You're right about this in one thing because you need to have owners that are always willing to invest, and you also need to have responsible city planning because I know what people are trying to say. And uh, what's he would Joe was saying right here, teams invest, put money into winning and they are punished. This to the frigging rafters with this team, sit back and hoard money and they are not punished for continuously disappointing fans and creating unbalance in competition. And look, there there are cities that are poorly run and I'll always point to Arizona Arizona, they put the Coyotes next to the um, to the Arizona Cardinals, thinking, "Oh, hey, that's a great idea. Why don't we put them over there?" Nobody wants to go out to Glendale forty-two times a year. They barely want to do it eight times a year, once a week to go see the the Cardinals. That's a different story. Uh, Forty-one times—that's not going to work. That's why they they needed to put them in in Arizona. Sorry, in uh, Phoenix or Tempe. And now that's what that's what they're trying to do. Now you get some other teams, as we were talking about before, that they'll just pocket the money and say, no, we're not spending one more dime than what we have to. I mean, I think the NHL has done a great job with parity. I I think a lot of teams have had a lot of parity, and it's gone very well. It just, I, this is just beyond accurate. Beyond accurate. I mean, you, you punt, the NHL punished teams like the Rangers, like Toronto, like the Flyers, because they wanted to spend money to win. And really, when you think about it, the the goal should have been to get the smaller market teams 
to spend more money and to be more competitive. And it, 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 it does create an unbalance of competition when you have the same teams in the league over and over again trying to get, like I said, the next Connor Bedard or, or, or build up a team of ELC players because they think that if they, they get the, the first overall pick and they get all these high picks that all of them are going to pan out and they're going to have a team full of ELC superstars and they're going to win a Stanley Cup and they're going to be a dynasty. That's not always how it works. You have to, and to have balance with these teams. When that is you so get, pure and far between. It's not a good strategy, Philk. No, it's not. It's not. Look at the Quebec Nordiques. Three number one overall picks in a row. And the players that they took with those picks, not Sundin in 89, Owen Nolan in 1990, and Eric Lindros in 1991. And we all know what happened with Lindros. And Nolan was traded for Sandy Zoslinch at the beginning of Colorado's inaugural season in 95-96, eight games into the season. And Sandy Zoslinch helped them win a cup in 96. And then Matt Sundin, well, that was a bad trade. Well, if you go, if you actually go further down in that trade, let's say we do the trade tree on that one, a la uh, Steve Dangle, that Matt Sundin becomes Wendell Clark, Wendell Clark becomes Claude Lemieux, Claude Lemieux becomes two Stanley Cups. Yes, I I understand. I understand that, but you 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 gave up Matt Sundin for Wendell freaking Clark, uh, which is not a good move. But um, yeah, it's. It's just that you, you – and look at Edmonton. Edmonton was another team. So they, they picked first overall in 2010 with Taylor Hall, first overall in 2011 with um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, first overall in 2012 with Neil Yakupov. They had the fourth pick, I believe, in 2013, and that ended up being um, – what's that? Oh, um, no – they traded for Griffin Reinhardt. That's right. They, the Islanders, they traded for Griffin yeah, Reinhardt. Yeah, that ended up being Matt Orzel. That was a real bad move. And then um, they, they – Peter Scurrilli had his best. Yeah, and then 2015, they, they, they got Connor McDavid. And you know what? Yeah, uh, 2014, uh, 2014 was Leon Dreisaitl. That was another top five pick. I mean, it's just for – you know, for every – yeah, exactly – for every Pittsburgh Penguin, there's an Edmonton Oilers t- in this situation, or Quebec Nordiques, where it doesn't work out like that. So, I mean, it, it, no, but the cap floor isn't pointless. It, it's it's just, you know, I, I listen. I do agree that they they need to get rid of the whole taking dead money from retired players thing. That's got to be a loophole that's got to be figured out in the next in the next deal. Yeah, I think uh, that's that that I think that's something that's. You got to use it and and try to figure that. I think you can actually figure that out among the league. I don't think you'd have to open up the CBA and do it all over again. No. But because I know people are talking about this, and I was potentially thinking about either writing an article or making a video about this, Philk. But as far as I'm concerned with it, I have no problem with with what the Coyotes are doing. They they want to build up their assets. That's fine. They're going to do that. Yeah, they're they're going to. I think they're going to start working on it next year, building the team. All right, so then don't let it count against the actual cap. Still make them spend, and you could still let them do that. Because other, I mean, other teams have done this in the past. I mean, David Clarkson was. Yeah, I know David Clarkson. Other other guys, Nathan Horton is another name that that's come up. It just, 
Tim listen, Thomas I, when he was a New York Islander. Tim Thomas, yes, I, I, I get it. We, we, several instances of it, but it, it's just, you know, I, I, I get it. I, I, I do get it. They want assets, but the, the, the types of assets that you're getting in these deals are not, they're not helping to build up a franchise. But again, at the same time, you also need to, you also need to have these teams be you know, really be really strict with this cap floor. The cap floor has gotta it's gotta be enforced so that this way, you know, you you have teams that are not getting above the cap floor artificially. They're actually going out and spending to be competitive. You know, it, it just giving these owners a pass like this is just stupid. And that's where I kind it's, of agree with you on that because you look at and again, everybody's targeting the Coyotes and saying this because they're getting all the dead cap space. And and also they play in a five thousand seat arena. They're eighteen, eleven, and three at home. They're a sneaky good home team. The problem is that they're seven twenty one and eight on the road. That's not exactly a good thing. But I mean, you also could look at. I mean, San Jose basically said they want to strip it down to the studs. So did Chicago. Columbus inadvertently did that. They were not <laughs> trying to strip it down. Well, Zach Wierenski getting injured didn't uh, help them at all. It really didn't. No. And Anaheim certainly was trying. Uh, Chuck Fletcher did all he could. We haven't addressed this, Philk. Ch- Chuck Fletcher. What is his legacy in Philadelphia besides the fact that he just made every wrong decision you could? What What legacy? Uh, legacy of uh, they had a slam dunk big name what, free agent signing. What legacy? They couldn't afford him. There's no legacy for Fletcher in Philadelphia. Just his tenure. Was, How about infamy? Is that a better word for you? Yeah, that that would be the word that you would use. Would be just infamy. He's going to be like one of those guys that every time they say Chuck Fletcher in Philadelphia, they have to like spit on the ground. Basically, I mean, I can't believe it took it. it, it He's he, right now. Yeah. Is he? He brought in Tortorella, who wouldn't allow his teams to tank. I'm trying to highlight this comment. Yeah, there it goes. Brought in Tortorella, he wouldn't allow his teams to tank, and then he didn't want to trade JVR to Detroit because I'm guessing he wanted too much for JVR, and then, oh. then Detroit pulled away from the deal because Eisenman is not going to get hoodwinked in a deal. That's just not how Steve Eisenman works. So Chuck Fletcher tried to play, tried to overplay his hand, over tried to overplay like a seven-two offsuit against Steve Eiserman's nut flush, and lost. <laughs> just stupid. So yeah, good job, Chuck Fletcher. Good job. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm still. We were on the the trade deadline. By the way, we'll be signing off probably in a few minutes. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I just say I gotta go. Yeah, this this is one of those things, Phil. I still don't understand that. And we were saying this during the trade deadline coverage. How do you not trade away JVR, and then him to come out afterwards and say, "Well, nobody really called at one forty-five. You have a guy you got to get rid of because he's worth nothing to you anymore. So then and, go and just pedal him. What did they? What? Yeah. I, I just all right. I just want to know one question. I just want Chuck Fletcher to answer this. Just one question for me. One question. What did you think or what did you expect to get for a 34-year-old declining forward that 
has been on the decline for quite some time and is a free agent at the end of the year with a $7 million cap hit to start this season. I assume it was five first round draft picks, Phil. What in the blue hell went through that guy's head? I mean, I, I, you know me, and and I put the video up last year on a on an NHL wow. Snipes video that I did. What was going through his mind getting Tony D'Angelo? You already had Rasmus Ristolainen. And I don't care how, how much Schwartz got out of him. First rounder for Ristolainen. What? Just. He basically God, chose so D'Angelo and Ristolainen over Johnny Gaudreau, who would have played there for free. It, it's dumb. He was. Thank he you was... for not having Johnny Gaudreau as a flyer. Um, I hate the fact that he's still in the division just because he's a really good player. But thank you, Chuck Fletcher, for royally screwing the pooch on that one. Oh, yeah. man. That was terrible. <laughs> and you know what? It's it's almost like on Friends when uh, Gunther was walking out of Ross's bachelor party and he says, thanks for not marrying Rachel. So <laughs> it's. I know I brought up I brought up that that little obscure reference on that one. Yeah. All right, everybody, yeah. we're gonna start up the music. I know we didn't get uh, through to many questions, and uh, gonna be able to say bye bye. First of all, by the way, thanks to Stephen for hanging out with us. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's late for you. I know that, and you guys are really hitting it. Wow, I missed a lot of a lot of notes. Yeah, but I mean, music's, I think, one thing that's going to happen, by the way, if... I've been saying, by the way, a lot. I have no idea why. Uh, I think the Coyotes, when they actually land an owner... I still don't think they have an owner. I think they're owned by the league still. No, so, they have an owner. They do? Yeah. All right, when they have, a, when they have an actual stadium, they're going to be better. Uh, Dan was asking, by the way, if the cap, resi- if the cap increases, re-sign Kane... Uh, Buffalo is going to be handing him a big contract. Uh, I don't know. I think Kane might take pennies on the dollar to come back to the Rangers, depending how this goes. Tarasenko's gone, though. We've, we've mentioned that a lot. I don't know. I think Tarasenko might end up being the one that stays. Really? I, I, I just think that I, I, if, if unless Kane somehow gets himself going and he really wants to take a, a, a discounted deal, Tarasenko seems to love playing here. And I, I, I could I could definitely see him trying to do something to make things work. <laughs> that's a, now that's a good one. Somebody needs to Photoshop a Scooby Doo meme uh, yeah. the face of Peter Shirelli that's Chuck All Fletcher that. underneath. But um, Phil, uh, I gotta say by the way, again I've been saying that a lot lately recently. The um, the footage of Tarasenko uh, announcing the starting lineup. And you see, like, all the some of the Ranger guys, especially Lafreniere, clapping. That chemistry in that locker room seems to be fine. Yeah, it, it, it's they're starting to gel, um, which is good. Um, so, I, you know, it, they just need to figure out. Yeah, Alex Morello, who owns the Coyotes, he, he, he's owned them since July uh, 29th, 2019. Okay. He's the new owner. But, uh, you know, if NY, uh, here's a good question. If, and if New York says five years, five million, does Tarasenko say no? I don't know. 
I don't know. Maybe he wants more. But I mean, five years, five million do the Rangers say no? I don't know if the Rangers say no at that point. I mean, they need right wing depth. They really do. Right. Their right wing depth without him and Kane is Capo Caco and nothing else. Yeah, that's. I mean, that is a right winger. I think it still depends on what they're going to be, uh, what they're going to be doing in the postseason. I still think they're going to use. I've been saying this all along. They're going to use this like an extended preseason, figure out what they got, and the, the thing is, can they flip the switch in the final week of the season? So, I mean, even uh, Mike Rupp was talking about this today. Yeah. Well, let's see some right. defense. Cook, last words on uh, on the show tonight. Uh, Rangers just need to start playing some defense and they really need to put the effort in in a 200 foot game because even that win against Washington got real sloppy as the game went along so they don't correct it nothing else is really going to matter I, I agree with you 100% they got to correct their, their I think their offense is going to be fine I think their defense their team defense has got to improve Neen their Ryan fourth line looks like they're going to be incredible so now they just gotta get they gotta get everything figured out. I just don't want to just throw it back to the kid line again, but it looks like that's what's gonna be the case, folks. So, all right. And oh, hey, that's actually some news. Yeah, yeah. Stephen, I'd love to have you down. You know where I am. Love to see you and uh, grab a drink with you in May. Hopefully, we'll be seeing some Rangers playoff games. Yeah, that'd be good. Hello, Phil. I'm dead scared of Rangers versus Islanders in the second round. Because I'm also a bartender, and how many fights I'll break up every night. Ooh, single night. Yeah. Good. All right. Everybody, thanks very much. Don't forget to leave us a like in case if you haven't. And we will be seeing you very soon. Thank you.